Welcome to Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canan. Today on Midpoint, we're going to talk with an advocate for immigrants who can describe what she saw at the Homestead Detention Center under the Trump administration and also what she's concerned about today on the U.S.-Mexico border. Last week, we did not take any phone calls, so today I will save some time for your comments later on in the show by phone, text, and email. You can text and email now, dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So please sign your name if you do end up texting us. Joining us live by Zoom right now is Marina Welch. She, I spoke with her a couple of years ago about what she saw at the Trump administration's homestead detention camp for migrant children. She's affiliated with a group called the Overground Railroad. We'll find out what that is later on. Welcome back to WMNF, Marina. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. I'm so glad, glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad you can join us. Um, so... Over the weekend, the Associated Press reported that more than 16,000 unaccompanied migrant children were in government custody. That includes about 5,000 in substandard Customs and Border Protection facilities. So tell us what we know about why there are so many migrants, especially kids, crossing the U.S.-Mexico border right now. Well, um, first off, you know, we, we know that Biden ended MPP when he took office. So he was allowing the people in some of the border towns such as Matamoros, Brownsville, Texas, which I had gone to um, to witness. And they're being allowed in. They had already started asylum proceedings through the courts. And then um, he's allowing the unaccompanied minors to come in. So they come either with their parents or their parents send them across the border. If they come with the parents, the parents are sent back. And his, uh, my understanding of his policy is we're a kind country. We're going to keep the kids and uh, do what we can for them, which I'm not sure how truly kind that is by not allowing them to stay with their parents. Um, you know, the, the code is defined as unaccompanied minor as a child who is without a biological mother or father. And yet most of these children if they are sent over by their parents or um, the parents are sent back, they have family here. They have their a phone number written on their arm in magic marker, and they're supposed to be able to call and get in touch with their family. And yet we're housing them in these facilities, influx shelters, they call them. Uh, I like to call them children prisons. Homestead was definitely a prison. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about Homestead later on, but right now let's let's discuss what's going on at the border right this second. And you you called the you're describing what you're you're seeing in photos at least uh, as prisons. So for people who haven't seen them, can you describe the photos that are emerging now of teenagers who are being held in Texas? And keep in mind for for maybe a week or a little bit longer, the Biden administration really pushed back against anyone visiting them to to get these photos out. But we did get finally get to see some of these photos. How would you describe? what's what's happening there well it's pretty horrendous and i it's my understanding that representative cuellar um, from texas leaked the photos the original ones that came out the ones that are really horrendous of the teens in these facilities or something like um, dhs department of homeland security is holding 3889 migrants in a facility that's meant to house 250 
Um, so they're sleeping on the floor. They have those, you know, we're back to those mylar blankets. Um, it's cold. It's um, And people are dying. Children, teenagers are dying there. This is the worst of the worst type of situation. So, um, you know, the best thing we could do now is turn them over to HHS, um, which is still not ideal. And yet it would be better than keeping them in that facility marginally better, right? We could get them to the Dallas Convention Center where at least there's a less chance of them dying. And then from there, work on the process of getting them to the families. That's the goal. I mean, that's my goal. The groups I work with, goal. We want to see these children get to their families, not be housed in any kind of facility. Carrizo Springs is open in Texas. They're opening a second one. The administration is looking at former military installations, several of them, to house families or or just the children it, it's it's so unnecessary it's so unnecessary when they have family or sponsors willing to take them in our guest is marina welch she's an advocate for migrants and is part of a group called the overground railroad this is wmnf's midpoint monday on 88.5 fm and on the WMNF app, I'm Sean Canan. And one of the reasons that um, that the I think that the Biden administration is maybe not reuniting these families together as quickly as possible is because there's this push from Republicans, especially that's very critical of the Biden administration. And they say that the whole reason that there is this influx of migration is because Biden has opened the borders and that message has gotten out there. Um, I don't know if that's that's not the message I hear when I hear Joe Biden at a press conference. He says the border is not open, but I think that this he's trying to push back against that messaging. So what are your thoughts about what could be done better to, um, I, I know it's kind of a seasonal migration. Almost every spring, there's a big influx of migration, but is there anything that, that we can do that would slow the tide of migration? Slow the tide. Well, you know, <laughs> um, that, I'm not sure that we could we could slow the tide. I mean, there's so many uh, reasons that this is this happens, right? So there's climate change, and there's poverty, and there's political unrest, and we're seeing a, an influx of Haitians who are coming who have walked from Brazil to the Mexican border because Brazil's economy collapsed and they had gone there after the hurricane of 2010 and did well for years, but then um, things changed in Brazil. So they're sitting at the border. Um, what The solution is, is not a simple one, right? To stop people from coming. Why do we want to stop them from coming? Migration is... Um, a part of our history and seeking asylum is legal. And um, we have room. You know what? The United States has room and we have um, the ability to care for people, right? I mean, we have the uh, money, not me, probably not most people listening, but there is a tremendous amount of money in this country that could help in many ways, right? The countries that need it, the people that are coming. Uh, we have the ability to 
help. And, um, you know, Mayorkas announced last week, um, don't come, the border is closed. That message was read to um, the consulate in Haiti. And yet they say, well, the children can come. We'll take your children, but we won't take you. Um, there's nothing kind about that. Nothing kind or humane about that kind of thing. And, and you know, a lot of my um, interest has been with what, what is happening to the children, especially. According to the Associated Press, the U.S. Border Patrol have encountered 5,000 migrants per day during the month of March, and many of them are crossing at the Rio Grande Valley of a town called Roma in Texas. The AP says there are more crossings here because the river is narrow, but it's also swift there, and because Trump's partial wall has been built at a previously popular crossing site. I don't know the relation of Roma to Matamoros, which is where you said you visited, but um, uh Having been at the border, what can you just say in general about the border, about how it's how dangerous it is on either side and how dangerous it is to cross the river? Well, um, I don't know about that area either, just Matamoros, because I had been there. And, you know, at times we were there, um, the river seemed calm and, and it was looked like, you know, it would be possible. It was fairly wide, um, but possible to get across um, and then at other times, there's tremendous rainstorms and debris floating in the river, and it, and it's not a safe place to cross. And also, these towns, these border towns, are um, known for the criminal element, for murder and rape and um, all kinds of other things there, too. So there's nothing safe about staying in a border town, and yet people know that and they come and they wait and they, um, because where they're coming from is not safe either. Um, so they need to do something and, and try to get to a place that they think will be better. And it would be better. It would definitely be better. Our guest is Marina Welch. She's an advocate for migrants and is part of a group called the Overground Railroad. It's 12.16 in the afternoon. You're listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and on WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canan. About 450 to 500 children per day are traveling alone and are separated by the U.S. Border Protection who who uh, encounters them, then they're supposed to be held for no longer than 72 hours. Why is there that 72-hour limit? And what do we know about the reality, though, of how long kids are actually being detained now at the Dallas, Dallas Convention Center? Um, I'm not clear on how long they, they're being detained. They, 72 hours came out of a, a law. Um, oh, gosh, the name... Um, escapes me right now. And, uh, but it came out of a law that said that's what would be done. But I know history has shown that that has not been held true. I mean, kids were held at Homestead for months and months up to a year. I think um, at the Dallas Convention Center, I'm not sure how long they're holding them or where they're even taking them from now. One thing I do know, I just got to notice that um, there are children and families who are being told they're going to El Paso and then on to Annunciation House and are being put on planes and shipped to uh, Juarez, Mexico. And uh, 
<laughs> you know, after being lied to and told that's where they were going, they're, they're shipping them right out of the country. It's easier to expel than to deport. There is a, you know, a difference. And if they expel them, of course, they come back to the border and they keep coming back and we keep expelling them. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to say something. I hope this is okay, but I, I just want to say that, you know, why are we even holding these children? And as I said, um, unaccompanied minor is one who is without a biological mother or father. And you may already know this, John, but um, four weeks ago, my daughter, who is struggling right now, sent her 11-year-old son to stay with my husband and I for a few months. And he was driven down here by his aunt um, and, of course, had to cross. He was coming from Virginia, so he had to cross several state borders, right? It's different, but the fact remains that no one stopped him and, and her and said, well, we're going to take this child and put him in a camp and check out the grandparents and make sure they're okay people before we send them on their way. And that's what we're doing. And, you know, when I, when I look at it that way and I think about that, it just breaks my heart, right? These parents are sending them to grandparents or aunts and uncles. And um, we, the great American savior is saying, well, we're going to check them out. We're going to find out if these people are good enough, if they're um, stable. And you know what? They are. In general, um, we already know they are. Our guest is Marina Welch. She's an advocate for migrants and is part of a group called the Overground Railroad. This is WMNF's Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. Two years ago during the Trump administration, you traveled to the Homestead Detention Center for Migrant Children in South Florida. We spoke to you then, but why don't you remind people why you went there and what you saw at Homestead in South Florida? Sure. Um, so I had seen on a Facebook post from a friend in the Miami area that people were um, witnessing where you go and you observe and you see and you tell the story of what's going on. So they were witnessing at the Homestead Influx Center, the, the child prison camp, um, and this was going on for, it had been going on for a couple of weeks and um, I, the more I heard about it, the more I read about it, the more I understood what was going on. This was my first um, introduction to witnessing and to the um, uh, crisis of the children in these camps. And so I said, you know what? I have time. I can go. I need to be um, to show up and help out. So I went down there. I actually made four trips to Homestead before it closed. And um, we had people showing up there every day and we would stand on ladders because they had taken the chain link fence and put up this green mesh in front of it. So you couldn't see through the fence anymore and see the children. So then we brought in step ladders and we stood on ladders and we held up huge hearts um, so that they could see that we were thinking and, and caring about them and what was going on. And we were aware that um, they were there. We wanted them to know that. And uh, um, so, you know, and like I said earlier, you know, some of those children were there for months and, and even close to a year. And when they would turn 18, they would be taken to the local jail 
and uh, held there, right? They were no longer minors, so then they could be jailed. Um, even though this was this was a jail too, the kids were allowed outside, maybe fifteen or twenty minutes to play. They were marched around like prisoners with guards, the front and back. You know, they didn't have weapons, but they were guards, right? They were watching them. They wouldn't let them near the fence because they might jump the fence or climb it. Um, you know, if you're being held uh, against you're well, if you can't leave and the doors are locked, it's a prison. It's, uh, you know, as simple as that. And, um, yeah, so. Well, recently the Biden administration was floating the idea of reopening the Homestead Detention Center. What do we know about how that plan has developed and, and whether they were serious about it or whether it might have actually come to fruition and then just they changed their minds? How, what happened there? Well, I tell you, it's uh, not for sure that they're not going to open it. Um, nothing's been said for sure. And I lean towards believing they came up with that announcement to stop the witnesses from being there because we've set up a new program of witnesses who have been there um, when they started moving um, equipment and things in, the witnesses showed up again and they were there every day and they're watching and seeing what's going on. And all of a sudden the, green screens came up around the fence again and um, people running around in golf carts, um, you know, with uh, badges and uh, deliveries being made. And so they're still there. The witnesses are still there. They're just doing three days a week right now, waiting to see what will happen. But I'll tell you on Friday, they, there were a number of deliveries made this past Friday and um, we haven't heard anything more about it not opening. Um, so with activity continuing, I, I think that they could very well use it. I mean, we're, you know, you mentioned the numbers, the sheer numbers of people coming in and they could very well use it again. It will be again, a for-profit child prison where they're charging taxpayers um, $750 a day to house a child. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> certainly keep us posted if you hear of anything of, of if, if that does start to get used. Absolutely. You know, I'll be back down there if, it, <laughs> if it's looking like it. Our guest is Marina Welch. She's an advocate for migrants. She's part of a group called the Overground Railroad. You're listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and the WMNF app. It's 1225 in the afternoon. I'm Sean Canan. According to the Associated Press, families who cross the border together are allowed to stay in the U.S. at least temporarily, but because of a public health order issued at the start of the pandemic, nearly all single adults, and the AP counted this as about 2,200 a day during March, they're being, single adults are being expelled from the country by the Biden administration, even people who are trying to claim asylum. Is that even legal? Well, the, um, the public health law is Title 42, and um, that was put in place by Trump in March of last year under the auspices that would further protect us from bringing more disease to us. Um, it is, you know, probably the worst part of this whole situation right now, and the first thing that 
or the very next thing, because MPP was the first, but the very next thing that needs to be stopped is to eliminate Title 42. And it's also affecting um, families, not just uh, single adults, but it is single adults in general. So um, is it legal? Well, it's a, it's a law, it's a health law, so probably, but it is probably the most um, wrong one that we have right now. We could easily, there, there's, the migrants don't have more coronavirus than we as Americans do, right? We're one of the, um, the most, one of the most um, in the world country that has coronavirus. So the migrants aren't bringing it in. They um, are tested when they cross the border. And um, as they get cleared, then they're allowed to seek asylum, move on to where they're going to go. So they're, they're housed. And um, actually, there was a, quite a number that were released today after clearing their um, uh, uh, what's the time period, you know, a couple of weeks where they have to be sure there's no indication that they have it. And then um, they're put on, you know, sent to the buses and whatnot. So yeah, Title 42, if we, do, if, if we could just start there, that is the number one thing is to eliminate Title 42. More people are being um, refused or returned under Biden's Title 42 than were under Trump. And that's pretty sad. Our guest is Marina Welch. She's an advocate for migrants and is part of a group called the Overground Railroad. What What is the Overground Railroad? And part of that, I think, is called Grannies Respond. How are you helping asylum seekers? Okay, so, and in fact, it really is called Grannies Respond. It was um, uh, a couple years ago, it was the Overground Railroad. And Grannies Respond is a grassroots movement. So they started in 2018, um, as uh, an answer to the separation of families seeking asylum, um, a group of uh, grandmothers <laughs> got together and decided to go and protest in McAllen, Texas, which was the home of uh, one of the largest U.S. Customs and Border Protection Centers at the time. And um, so they went down there in 2018 and uh, had a big protest. And then when they got home, they wanted to do more. So they started um, meeting the buses as people were um, transferred out of detention centers or asylum seekers were put on buses in various locations along the border. Um, they set up uh, groups that would meet at a bus station and provide, you know, along their travels at these bus stations would provide water and something to drink and maybe diapers if there was babies or a toy or um, information, you know, they could meet at the Greyhound station or whatever bus station was happening. And, um, you know, I answered questions as they went. These, these bus trips, you take a bus trip from Brownsville, Texas, to Tampa, Florida, it's um, over two days, right? So, um, and they typically don't have money or the ability to go get anything. So to offer um, some help and assistance is um, critical. 
So they started this then. Of course, uh, coronavirus shut it down. And, um, you know, one, there weren't, wasn't anybody coming, and two, everything was closed anyway. Um, with the border opening and um, things slightly um, relaxing, um, we've started up again. Now, we didn't have one in Tampa, and I wasn't sure that there was a real need because it um, didn't seem like we were a bus to anywhere, right? South Florida, it didn't seem like it was on the way. Well, I was wrong, it is on the way. Um, buses do, because of the nature of bus travel, they do come through here. So we're just getting, I'm just getting this group going. Um, we're on the Gulf Coast between Tampa and Port Charlotte, where we've already met one family and we're working on um, setting up for more that come through here. We will have little bags um, to hand out. Um, so far, we're trying to get um, more information. There's a Facebook group. We lost your audio there. Whatever you just did, yeah, you maybe covered your microphone. Oh, sorry. Can you you're, hear me you're now? You're good now, yes. Okay. Um, well, as I was saying, we're we're... Just getting set up here in Tampa and along the Gulf Coast, we'll be um, looking for volunteers and we'll be meeting buses. We'll need volunteers to help um, fill bags to uh, meet these folks along their, their travels. Some will be coming to this area. Some will be, you know, just passing through on their way to South Florida. And um, yeah, so it's a, just a tiny way we can we can give back and, and help out. And that's the group called Granny's Respond. How can people find out where to, to contact Granny's Respond? So for my group, um, Granny's Respond dot Florida Gulf, G-U-L-F at gmail.com. That's my email um, for the group and they can reach us there. Um, if you want to donate money, there's Granny's Respond dot org and there's a link where you can click the Tampa chapter so we can um, provide supplies. It's all volunteer. Nobody takes any money, um, but we can always use donations of um, supplies or, or money. So, Well, our guest is Marina Welch. She's an advocate for migrants and is part of a group called Granny's Respond. It's, it used to be called Overground Railroad. Well, my, my last question will be, what can we do to improve things? How, what are some policy changes that could be made or what are thing, indiv things that individuals can do to improve the situation for migrants? Um, well, as far as policy change, get rid of Title 42, number one. Um, you know, just start there and... You know, we have to look at how we can help these countries in the future. Um, individuals can certainly, you know, I highly, highly recommend going to witness. Go see um, what, what you can. If you can go to the border and volunteer some time, if you can go to a detention center as they open, as they will open, um, and, and witness, um, volunteer with something like Granny's Respond or um, your church group or um, write letters, you know, write, write to um, the administration and let them know that Title 42 needs to be rescinded. Um, 
What else? I guess that's, yeah. And, and keep watching, you know, stay um, aware of what's happening here. These are our human beings. <laughs> well, Marina, thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Midpoint. I appreciate you coming on. Sure. Thank you, Sean. I was glad to do it. Yeah, thank you so much. Marina Welch is an advocate for migrants. She's part of a group called Overground Railroad and Grannies Respond. You're listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM. On the WMNF app, I'm Sean Canan. We're going to take your calls and phone and, and uh, emails right now. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885 or you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. We'll be right back after about a... F- 45 second music break. Here's a little bit of Brandy Carlisle singing a John Prine song. I've been down this road before. I remember every tree, every single blade of grass holds a special place for me. I remember every town. And every hotel room And every song I ever sang And a guitar at a tune Brandy Carlisle singing the John Prine song, I Remember Everything. She sang that at the Grammys a few weeks ago. You're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. This is WMNF.org. You're also, you may be listening on the WMNF app. My name is Sean Canan. This is Midpoint Monday. And we're talking this hour about immigration, about migration. And if you have any thoughts about the migration situation at the U.S.-Mexico border. If you have any comments about the interview that we just heard with Marina Welch from Granny's Respond, give us a call, 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. Well, President Joe Biden gave his first press conference of his presidency the, uh, a few days ago, and uh, he was asked quite a lot about migration. And I'm going to play uh, one or two sound bites from that press conference in where Biden is talking about immigration. So here is uh, the first short clip, and then we'll get to your phone calls at 813-239-9663. Here is President Joe Biden. Well, look... Um I'm going to deal with all of those problems. The question is, the priorities as they come and land on my plate. Let's go to the first question you asked, the the first of the second questions you asked. And that is, what about dealing with families? Why are not some not going back? Because Mexico is refusing to take them back. They're saying they won't take them back, not all of them. We're in negotiations with the president of Mexico. I think we're going to see that change. They should all be going back, all be going back. The only people we're not going to let sitting there on the other side of the Rio Grande by themselves with no help are children. And what we're doing there, and it's an important point to understand. I know you understand it. I don't mean to say it that way. Important point to focus on. 
The vast majority of people under the age of 18 coming to the United States come with a telephone number on, the, on a wristband or come with a telephone number in their pocket in the United States. A mother, a father, a close relative, a grandma, or grandpa. What was happening before is it's taking literally weeks and weeks and maybe even months before anybody pick up the phone and call to see if there really was someone there. Well, we've set up a system now where within 24 hours there's a phone call made as that person, that child crosses the border. And then a verification system being put in place as, as of today to determine quickly whether or not that is a trafficker being called or that is actually a mom, a dad, and or a close relative. They're establishing that right off the bat. If it in fact is mom or dad, dad says to take the extreme case, I got a birth certificate. Then guess what? We're getting that kid directly to that parent immediately. And so that's going to reduce significantly. There's two ways to reduce child populations in circumstances that are not acceptable, like being held at a border patrol station. One is to get them to the place where they have a relative and set a date as to when a hearing can be held. The second way to do it is put them in a health and human services facility that we're occupying now, both licensed beds around the country that exist, as well as, for example, federal resources like Fort Bliss, to get them safely in a place where they can be taken care of while their fate is determined. Well, that's President Joe Biden speaking the other day at a press conference answering one of the questions he was asked about, many questions he was asked about immigration and migration. Uh, Simon writes in, he says, all these people wanting to come to a white supremacist country, there are over 2 billion people on the planet who make less than $2 a day. Maybe your guests would like to see the USA have a population of a billion people. Why not? We have a capitalistic system. So that's what um, activist, as he signs his name, activists named Simon has to say for on the email and you can email us at dj at wmnf.org you can also call us just like carlos is doing uh hi carlos what would you like to say yeah i, I think it's a really big mistake uh what's going to happen is going to number one is going to create a chaos you are going to take tens of thousands of children and even least Let's say, they will, let's say that they will permit them to enter the u.s what's going to happen it's exploitation I mean, these guys, they don't know. They think it's a heaven on earth. I will take you to most of uh, our restaurants right here in Tampa and go to the kitchen. And most of them, they don't have air conditioning inside the kitchen. And during the summer, the temperature may reach 120 degrees, maybe even more. This is just one scenario. Look, this is how I see it. This is a global issue, not just the U.S. If you go to Africa... A lot of Africans come into North Africa, Morocco, trying to cross to Europe. Hundreds are dying uh, in the Mediterranean every year. Look, it's inequality. The, the Europe, the U.S., uh, Russia, China, go rob these people, take all the minerals, take the best land. If if you need uh, if you need mango, they will put something that they will have to export to the Europe or the U.S., whatever, you know what I mean? There is injustice. We need to, you know, if we want to do anything positive, 
we need to go ahead and create some programs so we can keep these people in their own countries. They won't have no reason to come here to the U.S. You know, it's interesting. Oh, we are going to keep the show. We are going just to allow the, you know under eighteen to to come in. It's just it's sad. I, I don't think you know what that. Plus exploitation number one. You know, I'm I'm sorry to keep you know taking some time. Uh, the hotel business. They love children like that. The hotels, restaurants, you name it. They love people like that because they underpay, take advantage of them. You name it. Yeah, it's certainly. Uh, let me let me interject for a second here, Carlos, yes. and I'll let you re- yes. uh, continue if you'd like. But um, certainly, people get exploited, especially people who are vulnerable to things like that, like for example, migrant children. And you mentioned, hey, let's help people in other countries. And the funny thing, I'm not funny at all. I don't know why I use that word, but the ironic thing is that we do the opposite. Uh, you know, instead of helping people in Honduras, we helped orchestrate a coup uh, 15 years ago or 12 years ago or whenever that was. Uh, and the coup has led to nothing but chaos there. And, uh, you know, the, st- the, Depart- the Secretary of State kind of gave it her blessing at the time. Uh, so we're not, not only are we not helping those countries were actively harming them and, and causing this migration uh, wave to set to start off in the first place. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you 100 percent. Ah, absolutely, because I mean, when the U.S. and Europe and Russia and, and China, when we go abroad, we don't go to <laughs> for you know to invest whatever and create economy. Well, all we do, we go there for cheap labor and abuse them. You know what I mean? Just like those clothing companies in Central America and even in China itself, you know what I mean? All we go there for exploitation and, uh, you know, and uh, tap as much money as you can, basically, and that's all it's boiling to. And, 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 and I'm with you, yeah, I wish we can go ahead and create programs so everyone, African can stay in Africa and work in Africa and same thing for Central America and South America, but Sadly, none of that is happening. So, you know, as I said, the hotels, businesses, and restaurants, they love them. They absolutely they love them. Yeah. I'm going to move on, Carlos. I appreciate your call. Thank you so much for, for calling in. And we're going to go in just a second to Stephen in St. Petersburg. But I'm, I have to say this because I've already noticed our first three people are now all males. I'd really like to hear for some, from some women on this issue. Um, if you have an opinion, give us a call, 813-239-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. It's 12.45 in the afternoon. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. And we are talking right now about the migration situation. The, there's a... a Pretty big influx right now. It's kind of a seasonal influx of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. And that's one of the things we're talking about and what are some solutions. So give us a call, 813-239-9663. You're listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday. Stephen in St. Petersburg, you're on the air. What would you like to say? Hey, how you doing today? Doing great. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to the Reagan administration of what they did to the South American countries propping up dictators and suppressive governments about why people were fleeing north, and it continues to this day. Uh, of course, the Biden administration, one thing that he, I respect him on one issue that he said nothing fundamentally would change if he became president. 
that's about the only honest thing the guy has said because nothing has changed. No $15 an hour minimum wage, no maternal leave for working people, single women, no college debt relief, no Medicare for all, of course. And they call it Nicholas facilities down there instead of Nicholas cages, where the Obama administration with Uncle Joe there deported more people than any administration in the history of the United States. So you got a mess. And we got a mess, you know, domestically here. Uh, with the situation with the COVID-19, uh, we should have got $2,000. We didn't get that. So um, and listening to him, when you, when you listen to him on every word in one of his speeches, it sounds like a downtrodden, tired man, broken, that has absolutely no idea what to do or how to do it. Right, wrap it up, Stephen, please. Oh, okay. But anyway... Uh, so that's just how I see the take on it, where American history of how we have treated Mexico and the South American countries is why people are coming to this country right now. What American companies did to those countries and did to their economy and did to their government. American companies with the help of the U.S. military and the U.S. government. All right. Thanks, Stephen. I uh, appreciate that. Um, you know, you've made a list of a lot of things that Biden hasn't done in his what? 70 days in office or whatever it's been. So um, we will keep his feet to the fire, let's hope. Um, thanks for that. Let's go now to Sister Kelly in Tampa. Hi, Sister Kelly. Thank you. I uh, called to lift up that lady, uh, grandmother, that is so caring as Jesus was to seek out and uh, aid the foreigners the immigrants and we have the cold war going we have had the cold war going and all the south and central america company have felt the abuse of cold war and we support leaders that are pontificating to us that they are controlling the drugs and they're uh, controlling everything against human rights. And we support these bases around the world. And that is one of our major problems. And I wish everyone will write our president. I think he's doing a lot compared to the weeks that he's up there. But we need to support him and and, and advise, advise um, uh, about what could be done, what can be done, and and to remove this Cold War mentality. Thank you very much, Sister thank Kelly. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate that call. And if you'd like to join the conversation, it's eight one three two three nine. 9663. We're talking about migration. We're talking about immigration. And I'm going to get to Camelia in just a second, but I want to read this email that came in from David first. Uh, David writes, I find it ironic that Christian conservatives have so little compassion for these immigrant children and families who are running for their lives and seeking a better life in the USA. They must not be real Christians since Jesus was a hippie who preached that we should help the poorest among us. So that's David being the second consecutive uh, participant in the show talking about how uh, how 
helping migrants is something that's a Christian thing to do. 813-239-9663. It's 12.50 in the afternoon. This is WMNF's Midpoint Monday. We're talking about migration and joining us on the phone is a caller, Camelia from Clearwater. Did I get your name right? You did. It's Camelia. Hi, darling. Um, I wanted to say something and, and um, a while back I had actually made a, a, a bit of a audio post on my um, on my SoundCloud about it. Um, you know, we live in a nation of kings. Um, even at my, I'm one of the nation's poorest citizens. Right now I'm lucky I make $15 an hour, but, you know, there was a time when um, it was all I could do to feed my family. I was a single mom, but I had a television in every room because I, all I had to do was go out and shop on the curbs of America. Um, and I still do it to this day. I, I go out on my trash nights and I find things that people are discarding and I donate it to people in need. So we live in a nation of Kings who wouldn't want to come here. Um, you know, we, we have more abundance and people hear about that and they want to come here. They want a better life. And every person I've ever known that's immigrated to America has more of a work ethic than any American born person I've ever known. Uh, they work harder, they work longer hours, um, you know, and they're rewarded for it. I mean, a lot of them are business owners and, you know, I see, I see that when they come here, they don't squander that opportunity. They work hard. Um, I see, I've met people who have immigrated here who have their entire families living in one home and, and they, they share their income amongst them and they do, they, they have family values. They have work ethic. They're good people. They just want a better life. And there's a better life available to anyone here in the United States that wants it. And so why wouldn't they want to come here? And if we have a Statue of Liberty saying, you know, bring us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, you know, if we don't want to honor that, then tear down that statue because we need to be what we purport ourselves to be. And that is a nation of immigrants. That's the way it's been since day one. And they deserve just as much to come here as we deserve to live here. All right, Camelia, thanks so much for that call. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for calling in. 813-239-9663. If you'd like to talk about immigration in the U.S., in, into the U.S. Or, or anywhere in the world, we've actually had a kind of a global discussion in the last few minutes. So I appreciate that. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org, text 813-433-0885. Please sign your texts. We have a couple of people on the line. Let's go now to Michelle in Tampa. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for calling. Sorry, Michelle, I had your pot down. Go ahead now. Hello. Hi. You're on the How air. How are you? Is this... Go ahead. It's actually Mikkel. Okay. Sorry, Mikkel. Um, look, I am a... Uh, second-generation immigrant myself, and I have absolute uh, empathy for people who want to come here. Uh, the issue is is that we cannot be the reservoir for the whole world's immigration. We have other countries that equally need to participate if we're going to help these people. In fact, the best way to do it would be for us to use our talent and our technology and our money to help them in their own countries. And that's the problem. The problem is, is that you're asking, the, the people who are coming here are asking the, more, the poor and the middle class 
first of all, to be displaced by, you know, their jobs and also to pay more taxes to support these people in an economy that's getting increasingly more narrow, more technological, more robotic, and where the competition for basic survival is getting harder. This country cannot encourage millions and millions of unskilled people who do not even understand this culture or have the skills to participate in a, in a, in a good way in this culture to, to come here. Now, this is faulty thinking. It's not about being uh, heartful. It's not about idiot compassion, like the Buddhists say. It's about what can we afford. We're already very highly taxed. We're already struggling to survive through this pandemic. Many people have been laid off. Where is the money going to come from? The top 1% don't want to pay it. The middle class is stressed beyond belief, and the poor can't pay it. So is it fair to people who are here, blacks and Latinos, to have their jobs competed against by people who are willing to work uh, beyond the books, under the books, for half the amount of money? Is it fair to put people whose parents and grandparents have fought and died for this country, struggled to make America what it is today, and I include my own parents and grandparents in that, pay for these people? Look, Roosevelt did not let Jews who were fleeing Europe come to this country to avoid Nazi persecution. Why do we as a society have any more obligation? Well, okay. Before you ask the question, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you to answer that question. Was that the right decision or was that the wrong decision? I think. Was that the right decision or the wrong decision? I mean, well, I think it's not apples and oranges here. This is your comparison, dude. I would make a right decision. If Roosevelt was wrong, we are not morally or culturally, economically obligated to take care of the world any more than Russia is, any more than Europe is, any more than Canada is, any more than China is. Yeah, but do you have, a, do you have any evidence that, that, that immigrants are a drain on, on the country? Because I think that immigrants are a, pos, a net economic positive for the country. I have I, 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 I many, many people who are immigrants who are extraordinarily hardworking, talented people. I know that for a fact. But... When you have children coming without their parents to this country, my own children could not survive in this country. And they were born here without the help of my wife and I. How is it that you want us to accept thousands of children coming here without their parents? That's not even your main. They can't survive here, sir. I, I mean, I'm just going to go back to the, I, you know, I'm going to go back to the the comparison that you brought up and then later said it wasn't a good comparison, but I mean, a lot of, um, a lot of Jewish children, uh, orphans perhaps, or just people fleeing came seeking a better life. Um, I, I appreciate all that input. Thank you so much, Mikel. I'm sorry. I got your wrong, name wrong at the beginning. No, and that's okay. Uh, my name is unimportant. Uh, I, no, I appreciate it. I'm just telling you, I'm going to move on. I, I thank you for your call. I'm glad we had that discussion. 813-238-8, sorry, 813-239. Nine six six three. All right. Don't make me regret this, Clay. What's on your mind? Uh, great show, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, you know, I, I just tell the last guy, the last call. Go back to the lady talking about the Statue of Liberty. Okay, we have room in this country, and most of the time, these people come here, they are ending up being an economic boon to the country, and they end up doing jobs that I bet he wouldn't pick fruit. 
I bet he wouldn't uh, be a butcher uh, or, or, or work at a slaughterhouse. I bet he wouldn't do those things. And those are the kind of jobs migrants end up coming here to take, and they can survive. But the thing, I, I didn't get to see the president's press conference. I had a question uh, that I don't know if he got asked. You know that between February 4th and Wednesday of last year, he deported over 1,300 Haitians back to Haiti, mostly women and children. Did anybody ask him about that and you know, why they I'm gosh, I, I think I, Haiti came up and I don't remember the answer to that. I apologize. Um, okay, but why don't you make why don't you um, tell us what your point is then about that? Yeah, well, the, the, <laughs> thought we weren't going to do any more deportations and why pick on the Haitians and why women and children and why send them back to a house on fire? That country is in turmoil. You know, they even sent back a man who was born here in the United States to Haitian parents who'd never been to Haiti in his life. His first time going going back there, that makes no sense. Especially when he told us he wasn't going to do those things. Yeah, hate, sending people back to Haiti. I agree, Clay. I'm going to cut you off because I want to get to one more phone call from Kelly in St. Petersburg. But I think everyone can agree that that's kind of a silly thing to do. Kelly in St. Pete, you're on the air. Can you um, make your point quickly? Hey, yes. Uh, I, I just want to say that uh, I, I realize that how people feel about the influx of uh, people coming from other countries. But this has been going on over 100 and some years, 200 years. I mean, we're all from somewhere else. And furthermore, I just want to bring up a point about the, uh, the people, Hispanic workers, okay? I've worked in construction for 35 years, and we could not find any people to help us to build those buildings. Those guys were hanging. They were, we call them rod busters. We call them everything. They, they build blocks. They were up on 30 stories up, hanging from, uh, from the, uh, uh, you know, a lifeline. And if it wasn't for those people, half of your high-rises and half the stuff you have, you wouldn't have. All right, Kelly, thanks so much for ending the show. I appreciate that. I want to thank Frank Knox, and I want to thank our engineer, Alvaro Monte Alegre. I'm Sean Canaan. Tomorrow at noon, your hero, Mark Bureau, will host Midpoint Tuesday. Stay tuned now for Latino 54. That's coming up after NPR Headlines. Or if you want to continue to listen to news and public affairs, you can switch over to our HD3 stream, The Source, WMNF.org, or on the WMNF app, you can listen to HD3, The Source, and you'll hear the second hour of the Tom Hartman Show live. Thanks for listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday. This is WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening. Redemption songs. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs are free to- Live-